This is your house. These are your neighbor's houses. How many of these neighbors do you know by name? Go ahead, try to name them. Good morning, everyone. My name is DJ. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community Church. And just like you saw in the video, we are continuing our series. This is a six-week series uh, titled The Art of Neighboring, where we are looking at the call of Jesus to love our neighbors, which I hope those of you coming to church this morning, this is not new news to you, that this is a call on each of our lives to love our neighbors. But what we're doing is diving into it a little bit more each week, looking at some of the things that get in our way of loving our neighbors and specifically uh, trying to figure out how, just like this visual, how we might love our literal next door neighbors, no matter how different they are, no matter how weird they are, maybe you're the weird neighbor, all of the things that often get in the way. That's what we're looking at this week. Uh, our passage for today that we're gonna be diving into comes from the book of Matthew, chapter five. And so if you have your Bibles, would you flip there? Matthew chapter five. And we're gonna be looking at verses 14, 15, and 16. A nice short passage this morning. So I'll give you a second to flip there. uh, And um, the words will also be on the screen for those of you who wanna look up there. It's Matthew 5, starting in verse 14, and this comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Would you all bow in a word of prayer with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage on light, we pray that you would shine this morning that you would illuminate this text, that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears to hear your word and the ways we are to live as we go out from here this morning. We just pray that you would be with us and that you would speak and that we would be obedient. Amen. Just to give you some recap of where we've been so far. So we have been looking at this call to love our neighbor Uh, Jesus, when he is questioned about the greatest commandments, says, love God and love your neighbor. And he says all of the laws can basically branch off or hang on these two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. And we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan, where someone came to Jesus and they're trying to, you know, weasel their way out of obeying this law, saying, well, who's my neighbor? Give Give me the people I can love and those are the people I'll do. And Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, and I don't know if you, you realize when you read this, but he doesn't actually answer this guy's question. Uh, the guy asks, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, here's how you be a good neighbor. Uh, here's how you can be a good neighbor to those around you. 
And one of the reasons we're going through this series, uh, and I used to say this when I was doing youth group all the time, and I, I think it is important, and it's something I try to think about daily, if not, you know, as often as I can in my own life. Calls like the one to love our neighbor are, are, are so fundamental to the Christian life. And often we, as we go through this walk as Christians, we think we've grown, you know, give me the deep stuff, give me the hard stuff, give me the real difficult theology, you know, I'm, you know, love your neighbor is, you know, uh, that's Sunday school level stuff. Let, I, want, I want the meat, I want the good, good stuff here on a Sunday morning. And I really wanna uh, just caution that and, and say that every now and then in any uh, skill you are trying to build and anything you are trying to do, it is so important to get back to the fundamentals. And let me tell you, I, a lot of us think that, you know, if God called me to the big things, if God called me out into the mission field, I'd answer that call. But I'm telling you, if you can't love the person next door, you are not going to answer that call to the big things. If you can't do the little things, if you can't do the simple, there is no way you are going to do the big things. And so going back to the basics on something like this, I think is incredibly important. So Pastor Matt, over the last two weeks, looked at some of the excuses we make for loving our neighbors. We're too busy. Uh, we just don't have time. Uh, and what he basically called out is that the way Jesus lived his life is Jesus was interruptible. How often was Jesus on his way to do something else and someone stops him and he spends time with that person and we are to live our lives like that, interruptible like Jesus was interruptible. Last week, he looked at some of the ways we might be scared about loving our neighbors. What if they're different than me? What if they don't like me? What if we don't believe the same things? And what he said is that the call is still the same. And actually, Jesus pushes really hard and says, you know, we're to love our, we're to love our enemies, not just those who are like us, not just those who agree with us. Uh, and loving the person who lives next door to us is a small baby step towards loving our enemies. And so it's not a good excuse uh, to be afraid. Today... We are looking at this passage on light, and we are looking at what our motives are for loving our neighbor. What is the goal in loving my neighbor? What is the reason I'm called to love our neighbor? What is the purpose uh, for which I am to love my neighbor? Uh, and, and what I want to at least call out today is that your motivation matters. Uh, and I really do want to say, too, that if you have the wrong motivation, uh, with loving your neighbor, that your neighbor will sniff that out in a second and it will sabotage everything uh, you are trying to do. Uh, and so when we look at this passage today, this Matthew four, uh, 5, 14 through 16, this passage on light, there are three questions I want to ask as we look at this question on light. Uh, and the three questions are these. What is the source of this light? What are we supposed to do with this light? And then that question of motives and purpose. What is the purpose of this light? What is the end goal of this light? So those are the three questions we're going to ask. Where does this light come from? What are we supposed to do with it? And what is the end goal of this light? And so let's look at question number one. What are, is the source of this light? Jesus starts this passage by saying, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. He was speaking to a crowd mostly comprised of Jews. And we need to understand that this was a group different than us. They had certain cultural norms. They had certain understandings that we might not have today because we live in a different time and a culture. But it's important to know that if Jesus was talking about light, that they would have been, they would have been familiar with this phrase. 
they would have known exactly what he meant. Uh, and they actually would have known this too because the city of Jerusalem, this, this capital city of God that was literally on a hill, was often referred to as the light of the Gentiles or the light of anybody who was not Jewish. And they would have also understood this because in their background, uh, in the nation of Israel, in God's call to them as a covenant people, one of the goals of them as a covenant people was literally to be a light amongst the other nations. And I want to point out a few passages that just back this up. Deuteronomy 4, this is Moses speaking to the nation of Israel before they go into the promised land. He says, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. Why? For this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. The, the nations around will see how they act, will see that the laws and the way they treat one another, that there's something different. And they'll say to themselves, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them in the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? One of the things the nation of Israel was to be was to be this beacon of light that drew people to it, that they saw how they interacted with one another and they were attracted to it. You see it also in the uh, book of Isaiah and some of the prophecies about what the church is going to be doing Isaiah 49, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. I'm telling you this to uh, just solidify when Jesus talked about light to this group, this Sermon on the Mount, these people who are there to hear him, when he's talking about being a light, when he talks about shining this light, they would have understood and this would have been very familiar language to them. And so let's get to this question. So where does this light come from? What is the source of this light? And I wanna tell you that this light does not come from us. Jesus says you are the light, but I want to tell you that this light does not emanate primarily from us. And I want you to hear this from a commentator named Barclay who says, he says, of one thing the Jews were very sure, no person kindled their own light. Jerusalem was indeed a light to the Gentiles, but God lit Israel's lamp. The light with which the nation shines, it is a borrowed light. It must be so with the Christians. So he's talking about us now. It is not the demand of Jesus that we should produce our own light. We must shine with the reflection of his light. The radiance which shines from the Christian comes from the presence of Christ within the Christian's heart. It is a borrowed light. It is a light that comes from God and you and I are called not to produce our own light on our own, but to act as a reflection of God's light. We are to radiate this light that doesn't primarily come from us, but we are to, to position ourselves in such a way that this light shines. A good illustration for this would be a, simply a mirror, uh, is that you and I are to be this like reflective surface 
that, and to position ourselves in such a way so that if God's light is shining on us, we can turn in such a way that that light can then shine to those around us. Uh, it is not something that is to be absorbed or kept for yourself. It is something that is to be redirected uh, to those around us. Another good uh, analogy for this is just the sun and the moon. When there is a full moon, you can see outside uh, at night, but the moon doesn't make its own light. The moon is simply reflecting the light that is given to it from the sun, and in a very similar way, you are not called to make your own light. You are called to simply reflect and redirect the light that is given from Christ. Uh, and Jesus, you picks this up in John 8, when he speaks to the people, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want you to see that this idea of light, of reflecting it, of, of it coming from God, of it being God produced is something that is all throughout scripture and that was originally there with the nation of Israel. And it is still a call to us today. So what is the source of the light? Where does it come from? The light comes from Christ. It comes from God's radiance shining within us. But what are we supposed to do with it? Question number two. The passage says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. There are two things I want to point out about this light. First, it is not a light that is to be kept to yourself. Uh, the Christian walk is not primarily about me and my personal relationship with Jesus. Even though we live here in a very independent, you know, I do things on my own, I don't need help from anybody else, the, the light that comes from Christ is not something that is only for your benefit. I think it will benefit you, but it is not something to be kept to yourself. It is not to be kept to the individual. And the second thing is that we see here that Jesus Christ is saying that their light is to shine to everyone. It is to shine before others. And as we get to the end of the passage, we'll see that it is to shine to the world. And I wanna make the claim that this light that is received from Christ is not only for the individual, but it is also not just for the church. You see, if each and every one of us, our only interaction with those around us was those who are in this room, it's like a light in a room with a bunch of lights. And I don't know if you do this at home or if I had a light up here right now, if I were to turn it on, you could not see any better. There are tons of lights going on in this room right now and one light would not add anything to this room. It wouldn't help you see any better. It wouldn't add anything. I heard this analogy when I was in junior high, and I have not forgotten it. I was at camp one year, and I went to this breakout session on evangelism, and I didn't even know what evangelism meant, but my friend was going to this breakout session on evangelism. It means sharing the gospel, basically, and preaching to other people. It means discipleship. It means sharing this light. And a girl in this breakout group she wasn't the, lead, the one leading it. I don't remember what the leader said. I just remember what this girl said when I was in junior high. And she said, you know, a light in a room full of lights doesn't make much of a difference, but you put that same exact light in a dark room and it illuminates the whole room. 
And Jesus says this in this passage, you put it on a stand and it can give light to the entire house. Uh, as a church uh, and as a people of God, we have a call on our lives to reflect this light. And what I wanna uh, tell you this morning is that that light, if it is only reflecting here amongst the people of God, which is a good thing, it should reflect here amongst the people of God, but I'm telling you, you are missing a whole nother part of it, that those lights shine brighter in dark places, in places where there isn't the light of God, in communities and friend groups where people aren't believers, where other peoples aren't shining this light. And this is an opportunity and a call. And what I wanna tell you is that it is very possible in the call to love our neighbor that our neighbor's house is dark, uh, that the light is not there, and that you might be the one or one of the very few people who has the opportunity to shine light in this dark area. Our mission statement as a church says this. It says, we are to be disciple makers, okay? We're to evangelize, we're to take this call that Jesus had to make disciples, but it doesn't end there. We are to be disciple makers reaching out to the community for Christ. They added that qualifier, reaching out to the community for Christ. The call to shine the light of Christ does not stop at these four walls, or I, I don't even know what shape this is, however many walls are in this building right now. It doesn't stop in this building, it doesn't stop in this block, but what it should do is it should radiate uh, out into the community and have some type of effect in the community, like a city on a hill. What is this light? What is the source of this light? The source of the light is Christ. What are we supposed to do with this light? We're not to keep it to ourselves. We are to share it with others. What is the purpose of this light? What is the goal? We see that in verse 16. Let your light shine before others. Why? That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I made the claim at the beginning and I wanna reiterate it right now. I fully believe it is possible to do the actions right. You could be someone who loves your neighbor well, serves them, knows their name, does all kinds of things to make them feel valued. But if your motivation is wrong, if your motives are impure, if they are askew, I think you can easily destroy every single thing you have built every amount of trust you have built or any type of relationship you have built. And I really do believe we live in a day where people just don't trust institutions. They don't. Uh, we don't trust big business. We don't trust big government. We don't trust anyone who has any seat of, of authority. There is always a, uh, a hesitancy to take someone's at their word. And let me tell you, the church is like very high on that list as far as organizations or communities that people out there don't have a trust for. There is a hesitancy uh, to buy what the church is selling. Uh, and in the Art of Neighboring book, they, they make this comment. They say, chances are people who don't believe in God have had at least one negative experience with religion. For them to enter into a spiritual conversation can be uncomfortable, unpalatable, unappealing, and perhaps even threatening you and I are operating with a handicap when it comes to interacting with those around us. 
And if anybody catches even a whiff of, of, of an ulterior motive, they will sniff that out and any trust you have built is gone. Uh, if anybody thinks you are simply talking to them so that you can invite them to church one day and you can check that off your box and tell Pastor Matt, I did it, I got somebody and I invited them to church, even though you've invited somebody to church and is that a good thing, but if they feel tricked, you blew it up. And so what I want to talk a little bit about is they, they mentioned in this book um, is the difference in motives, the difference between an ulterior motive and an ultimate motive. An ulterior motive versus an ultimate motive. An ulterior, mean, ulterior means something is intentionally kept concealed. An ulterior motive is usually manipulative. It's when we do or say one thing out in the open, but intend or mean another in private. We're all guilty of doing this sometimes. Uh, and and I, I fully believe it's possible to, again, look like on the outside you're doing everything right, uh, but the motives be completely wrong. I don't know how many of you have seen videos all over YouTube or TikTok or Instagram. They're all over the place where people will do amazing things. They will like give coats to people who are cold on the street. They will give food to people who are hungry. They will help out somebody who is in need. Uh, and it's a good thing. You should. We're called to give to those who are in need. We're called to feed the hungry and to clothe the naked. We are called to do those things. But I can't help but wonder of these people who are posting these videos online that if the motives really are just to make themselves look good, they're getting lots of likes, they're getting lots of subscribers, and you're leaving that video going, man, that person is so awesome. Look how they did those amazing things to all those uh, poor uh, you know, people who were unhoused. We can do this in church. It is totally possible that we go into a relationship with our neighbor and although our motive might be church-related, it could come off as twisted or manipulative or like we were concealing what our true purpose was. So what should we do? Our ultimate purpose. And ultimate means this. It says, ultimate means the furthest point of a journey. An ultimate goal is an eventual point or a longed-for destination. Examples are when a person begins college hoping to become a physician one day, or when a kid starts playing basketball with dreams of one day playing in the NBA. Our end goal in all of these is that, just as Jesus said in verse 16 there, that others would see our good deeds and not give us the credit, not think that we are amazing, not shine a light in such a way that people are attracted to us, but that other people would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. We have some neighbors right now, and they put in a pool about a year ago, and it's a nice pool. We have a trampoline, and we, can, we bounce up, and we look at the pool. <laughs> All right? Pastor Matt shared, I think last week or two weeks ago, about his neighbors who, who invited them over to a swim, and he like, was denying the invitation a bunch of times or rejecting the invitation. My neighbors have not invited us to swim, okay? And just, a, this is such a simple example. If I were to get to know them better, but my goal, my ultimate goal is just to get that invite to go for a swim, 
oh my gosh, talk about manipulative. I know this is a silly example and this is not what I'm going to do. Uh, but it is just an easy way to see like, your motives might shift without you even realizing it. You might begin with the purest of intentions and realize that it has shifted somewhere down the line. And, and I fully believe it's possible that you start a relationship with somebody, start a relationship with your neighbors, and then you see the nice pool and think, man, that's what I'm going for one of these days. And, and I really do feel that it is something that we need to constantly check ourselves. Uh, we need to constantly repent uh, of the ways in which we have not kept our motivation pure, the ways that we have have somehow taken the light of Christ and, and kept some of it or tried to get some of it to redirect towards ourselves. They say this in The Art of Neighboring. It says, Jesus is declaring. What is he saying in this passage? He's declaring that we can live in such a way that people around us will look to God because of how we are living. And the goal isn't first and foremost to get people into the church. The goal isn't even first and foremost to get them to believe. The goal is to love them because Jesus Christ has called us to love them, to begin by hearing their story, by begin to get to know them and get to love them well. The ultimate goal always being that they might ask you about your faith and ask you about what you believe and why you do the things you do, that you would serve as some type of light, again, that doesn't come from yourself, but that they would see it and not give you the glory not give you the credit or think a lot about you, but that they would think about God. And it is so hard to do that. I heard this analogy of this, this pastor who went to, uh, he, he went overseas uh, to try to be a missionary. And he said, my goal was to get people to learn about God so that they could someday get into heaven. He goes, I went to a poor uh, part of Africa, he said, so that these people who lived a miserable existence on earth wouldn't have to have a miserable existence in eternity. And what he came to realize is that even in doing that, the goal wasn't God. God wasn't the end. It was somehow to benefit the other person. And he made it about the person rather than about God. And he said he had this encounter that evening where he felt like God spoke to him. And he said, I don't send you out there for the, other, for the sake of the other people. Uh, I'm gonna paraphrase here. I'm not sending you over to your neighbor's house so that you might save your neighbor. I am sending you to your neighbor's house. This is God speaking because I love them and because I died for them. And just like you or I, they are made in the image of Christ, just like you and I are made in the image of Christ. And Jesus Christ deserves the praise and the worship of every single person out there. Why do we do what we do? Why do we treat one another the way we treat one another? Why do we forgive even when everyone else would not forgive? It's the hope that other people would see how we act and they are not attracted necessarily to us, but they are attracted to God. What is the source of this light? Jesus Christ. What do we do with this light? We share it with others. And what is the purpose of this light? The purpose is to direct people to the God who loves them, who died for them, and who deserves their love and admiration too. I want to close with a, a quote I really like. And um, it might come off as morbid to some of you, but I don't know, it resonates with me, so I'm gonna share it. Uh, and, it and a lot of things nowadays tell us, you know, 
one of the goals in life is to, is to leave a legacy. I mean, you hear this all the time. You wanna, you wanna leave some type of legacy, some type of remnant of you that lives long past yourself. And, and I heard this quote from a guy, I wanna get his name right. Um, it's attributed to him, Nicholas Ludwig Count von Zinzendorf, <laughs> who was an Austrian nobility in Germany in the 1700s. And Zinzendorf, who was, I believe, part of the Moravian group, he had this phrase, and man, I just, I, I love it because I think it so encapsulates well um, the call. And again, I'm not trying to be morbid in sharing this, but his call was simply this, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. It's not about making a name for ourselves. It's not about attracting people to us. It's not even about leaving a legacy. It's about drawing people to the God who loves them and who created them. And I simply want to close by reading the passage again as a prayer over you. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, church, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this call on all of our lives. This, this, this simple and yet deep call to love our neighbors. God, I pray that you would just check each and every one of our hearts as we go about fulfilling this call you have put on our lives. That if there is any ill intent, that if there is any type of manipulation happening, if there is anything that is drawing people to ourselves, that you would rid us of that. I pray, Lord, that as we go from this place, that as we enter the mission field, as we enter our communities, that we would reflect your light in such a way that all of those who encounter us, all of those who see would be drawn to you. Be with us as we interact with our neighbors. Be with us as we learn names. Be with us as we love those around us. Help this church to be that light. Amen. Just a couple notes uh, of things going on. If you are still interested in reading this book, it's an easy read, uh, The Art of Neighboring, that we are basing a lot of this on. Uh, we still have copies, I believe, and I think we're selling them for $10 uh, out back. Uh, if you are in need of prayer or would like someone to pray with you, uh, there will be a few up here by this big sign to pray with you. We would love to come alongside and stand in the gap with you. Oh. The song we just sang, in addition to mentioning light, which worked with the theme of the passage that we just did about God being the one who gave light, uh, is a song I've always loved because it, it is about God is the one who has given us the breath. And so what do we do with that breath? We redirect it back to God. Uh, every single thing we have, the time we have, the light that we are given is a borrowed light. And that light is not meant for us to keep to ourselves, but to give to somebody else. Uh, and with that, would you all stand for the benediction here? Christ Community Church, my hope and my prayer for every single one of you, myself included, is that we would be the light 
of the world. Not just the world, but maybe let's just start with our next door neighbor. Let's be the light in our circle of neighbors. Would we be the light of the world? Would we not hide that light under a bushel, but would we put it on its stand and would the light that we emanate, the light that comes from Christ, would it give light to every single person in every single circumstance, to every single relationship that we have outside of these four walls? Would we be the light of the world and would that light guide people to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that they would see the light that comes from us, see our good deeds, and that the people who interact with us would give glory to our Father in heaven. Go in peace.